hearing no should be as important to a salesperson as hearing yes. Because if we go into every single selling situation, and this is the problem, because mainstream sales training and education is doing just that. High ticket closer and this closing course and that closing course and how to close the sale and how to influence, how to persuade, close the deal every single time. These messages are suggesting that success in selling is when you close the sale and failing in sales is when you don't close the sale. However, what is the job of a salesperson? The job of a salesperson is to get a decision, yes or no, without a bias towards yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here live at the Real Marketer Podcast. We have an absolutely amazing guest today, Brandon Mulrennan. Now, for anybody who has known me or has been following me, there's been a moment, I guess, in the content that I produce where all of a sudden I started talking about this dude, Brandon Mulrennan. Um, I think, incidentally, at the same period of time, you started, not that you weren't doing it beforehand, but I guess seriously doubling down on the sheer volume of content that was actually going out. So I think kind of when I found you, it wasn't really a coincidence and a lot more people were starting to see you. Just, I, I think the amount of people that were actually taking in your content and your information just started to skyrocket. So let me stop talking for a moment, allow you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Who is Brandon Mulrennan? Yeah, well, listen, I appreciate uh, you having me on the show. And to your point, yeah, we've made a real commitment to the content to, and we will continue to do that. But you know, I've been in real estate and the sales business for almost 20 years, which is crazy. I started off in the mortgage business. We grew an insurance agency during that time. And then for the last probably 15 or so, been in real estate. So everything from growing my personal production business to my sales team, to my real estate brokerage firm. And now we've coached over 6,000 agents in all over the country really all over the world, really, in our reverse selling methodology. So uh, happy to be here. And my goal is to have the audience really walk away with as many tangible uh, takeaways to implement into their business as soon as possible. That's awesome. So I think that two words oftentimes get conflated is marketing and selling, like sales and marketing. And I think that not enough people understand the true differences of those I guess, concepts and which role each of them plays. So how would you differentiate sales and marketing and real estate and which roles do each of them play? Yeah, great point. So, so marketing to me is, is identifying a potential client uh, that, that may have a need or interest in, in the product or service in which you sell. And in this case, we're talking about real estate sales. So, so the marketing is, the identif is identifying the potential opportunity and a lot of people do misconstrue this because even prospecting is a marketing activity. It's not a selling activity. And so marketing has to do with finding opportunities, identifying opportunities. And then sales is the acquisition or the process in which we walk people through after we've identified a potential client. So at what point in time, I guess, would a prospect that goes into the marketing realm become a sales lead? Well, as soon as we understand that they, well, this is how we define a lead. Let's, I think, start with that. So 
in, in our marketing efforts, we're trying to identify what is a lead and what is not a lead. And so for us, a lead is a potential buyer or seller who has the desire to buy and sell a home. Yes, I want to buy. Yes, I want to sell. That's number one. Number two, they have specific timeframes. I'd like to buy or sell with inside of this time frame. Number three, they're not committed to another real estate agent. And in other words, yes, I will give you, Oliver, the opportunity to earn my business when the time comes. Number four, there's a specific next step where the prospect at this point in time has invited the agent to continue to follow up. And then number five, they've given a valid email address. So for us, those are the five criteria that determine whether or not this is a real lead or not. And marketing's job is to identify people in the marketplace that fall into that criteria. Now, once we've identified those five, that's where we get into the actual process of selling. So I anticipate the way that you track your conversions then with this process would differ drastically from the way that other people track conversions. And let me kind of just give a little bit more context to that question. I think what's difficult and in, in, in the conflicting advice that people get is number one, on the one hand, and, and you really say this a lot, is to remove yourself from the sale emotionally, right? There's no sale to be had there sometimes. So to track those is I didn't manage to convert that. I think you're getting yourself into some really sticky area where you're conflating marketing. You got the wrong lead in the first place. You never really had a chance. So what are you tracking that as a lead that you didn't weren't able to close? You were never going to be able to. That's but I exactly think when, right. I think when you separate these two things, right? So like you mentioned, a lead is the, 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 the five-step criteria is do they actually want the product? In this case, do they want to buy or sell? What's their time frame? And I think there's a little bit more to dig into there, right? Are they actually committed or not? Um, sorry, have they committed themselves to another realtor or not? Uh, have the next steps been taken and have they provided a valid email address? I think when you're looking at those criteria and you said, okay, fine, they fit the bill there. All of a sudden, there's a world of opportunity that opens up because you're not wasting your time talking to tire kickers that are never really interested. You've got somebody that could be closed. Now you can start to track. That's exactly right. And I think the the key thing is what you may be alluding to, and that is that most salespeople really are looking to get their emotional needs met in a prospecting or marketing effort when they shouldn't because the prospects don't owe us anything. And, and traditional, sell, traditional selling brings a lot of pressure to the amateur salesperson where to your point, they feel like if they don't convert that they did something wrong. Right. That's not the case at all because our job as salespeople is to first and foremost identify, do you have a potential client here or not? In other words, we can't help everybody. And we have to accept the fact that most of the time we can't, and it's okay. So instead of trying to go into a marketing or a prospecting situation with the bias of, I'm going to close every single deal, and if I don't close this deal, I'm going to feel badly about myself and my emotions are there. Therefore, going, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to think that I've done something wrong. The reality is you have, we have to go into a selling situation understanding that yes or no is viable. They both have value in our 
efforts to grow our business because yes lives in the land of no. And when a salesperson or a business owner is has this attachment to yes, when she or he doesn't get the yes, now they start to have they start to question their confidence, their self-worth because they're attaching their feeling towards this outcome. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think that something that I always like to refer back to is there's four real reasons, I suppose, that somebody purchases a product or anyone purchases a product. And in order of most compelling to least compelling, it's to get away from a current pain, to get away from a future pain, to go towards a current pleasure and to go towards a future pleasure, which means that if I'm selling something that's going to be beneficial in the long run, I think this is also probably one of the reasons that realtors or people in general struggle to do what's going to pay off in the long run is because to have that foresight, it's not an easy thing to do always. It's also very much not compelling at the moment. So if I was to hypothetically find somebody in the desert that hasn't drunk in however many hours and offer them a bottle of water for $500, they would likely purchase that because it's life or death. I need to buy this, you know, and you can't really put a price tag on there. So it has nothing to do with the quality of the salesperson if they're able to sell that, just like if I was to if I were the best salesperson in the world and go out into the street and offer some random person a $500 bottle of water in a million years, I'm never going to make that sale. So I think understanding that you need to be talking to the right people at the right time, that's essential in really knowing, am I doing my job as a salesperson? Because maybe it's a marketing problem. Maybe it's a product problem. And the only way to know that is I put myself in a position where somebody actually wants this. And now that I know that they want this, they fit that five-part criteria that you just spelled out. Now that I know that they're viable, can I quote unquote, close this person? Can I sell to this person? I think that's where the conversation really is supposed to start, but it never really does. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the first thing that, that someone has to accept, regardless of what business that they're in, regardless of what they're selling, they have to accept that, A, to your point that we're talking about, we can't help everybody. And B, that no, have, hearing no should be as important to a salesperson as hearing yes. Because if we go into every single selling situation, and this is the problem, because mainstream sales training and education is doing just that. High ticket closer and this closing course and that closing course and how to close the sale and how to influence, how to persuade, close the deal every single time. These messages are suggesting that success in selling is when you close the sale. And failing in sales is when you don't close the sale. However, what is the job of a salesperson? The job of a salesperson is to get a decision, yes or no, without a bias towards yes. Because yes lives in the land of no. So when, when, a, when an amateur salesperson is so attached to an outcome, they attach their self-worth to closing the deal or not closing the deal, Oliver. And when we don't close the deal, and I this, this happens all the time, I will coach an agent and they don't close the deal. They don't set the appointment. They feel like they're doing something wrong. What did I do wrong? What did I not say? What's the magic script? Yeah. To which I often respond to, well, maybe you did everything right. By inviting prospects to say no to you because we're not a fit for everybody. And Oliver, that's okay. We can't help everybody. By accepting the fact 
that no is very viable removes all the pressure from the salesperson. And oh, by the way, it removes all the pressure from the prospect, which lowers psychological reactants. So just to clarify then, when you say yes lives in the land of no, you mean that only when you know that either yes or no, they are a viable lead, can you even contemplate possibly getting to that all-powerful yes? What I mean by yes living in the land of no is you can't have one without the other. You see, when a salesperson is so emotionally attached to hearing yes, close, close, yes, 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 when she hears the, the word no, we're not interested, we're not going to buy from you, their whole world I understand. Is, is ruined. And they believe like, oh my gosh, I'm just no good at selling. But here's what I mean. You can't have yes without no. There is no success without failure. There is no sunny day without a rainy day. There is no light without the darkness. You must have both. Both must exist. In order to succeed, you must fail. In order to hear yes, you must hear no. So we have to... We have to accept that when we hear prospects tell us no, not only is it perfectly viable because everybody has their, 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 their right to say no, but we should not attach our emotions to only yes. That our job is to get a decision and no is perfectly fine. And in fact, the more we can invite prospects to tell us no, the more open the prospect will be in telling us the truth. And that's what we're ultimately after in a sales conversation, Oliver, is a conversation between two adults around the truth. And the fact that we might not do business, instead of trying to beat around the bush and try to manipulate the prospect into always saying yes, maybe we invite the idea that, listen, doing business might not make sense and that's okay i'm actually happy you spoke you mentioned the word truth because that's something that i find comes up a lot in your content um when you say getting down to the truth like can you break that down a little bit yeah. what do you mean by that i'll tell you because because salespeople that we're talking about is most amateur salespeople are looking to get their emotional needs met in a selling situation when i make a sale i feel good when I don't make a sale, I feel bad and because we don't have a strong self-worth. We don't have a strong identity yet. Because of that, we have happy ears. We get lost in the vagueness. So instead of asking good questions, instead of having a prospect, inviting prospects to say that they're not interested and that's okay, we end up forcing prospects into our pipeline that aren't real leads because we're, we weren't willing to hear the truth. When a prospect, is, when, when a prospect says, eh, I don't know, we, we might be thinking about selling, the amateur with happy ears hears, oh my God, I got one. Bob, I got one over here. You don't have anything, right? Because we're so used to qualify, qualify, qualify. What we teach our coaching clients is to do the exact opposite, is to disqualify. Bob, selling your house is a, is very difficult. Would it even make sense for us to have another conversation? Would it even make sense for us to talk about getting together? A lot of people have a realtor that they're committed to. That's what we're talking about, is not getting caught in the vagueness. It's to get down to the truth. 
And the truth oftentimes is, no, I'm not interested. No, I don't want to hear from you again. No, don't ever call me again. But the amateur that can't accept that emotionally doesn't want to ask the question, why? Because they don't want to hear the answer. Right. They only want to hear yes. They only hear the positives. And so we don't even ask the questions that could lead us to no. I think this is actually a really seamless transition into, I guess, what it is that you've made your name around, which is reverse selling. So can you tell us a little bit about what reverse selling is? How does it work? And why is it different than most selling techniques? Yeah, 100%. Reverse selling, well, here's the thing. The, the baseline of reverse selling is to understand that, number one, people buy for their own reasons, not your reasons. So let's start there. What, is, what are most salespeople taught how to do? They're taught on how to close, right? Say these words, do this, give the prospect all the, the features and the benefits on why they should do something. But what do we know about human beings is this, that number one, people don't like to be told what to do. And in often cases, in most cases, they don't believe what you tell them. They rarely believe what other people tell them. They always believe what they tell themselves. That's called self-persuasion in psychology. So reverse selling is the skill to help elicit one's own reasons for why they should or should not do something. Because everybody has their own reasons with inside of us. And so if we try to tell them, Oliver, this is why you should do this. This is why you should do that. That elicits reactance. It causes sales resistance, causes the prospect to push back. So reverse selling is the practice of the Socratic method to help elicit self-persuasion. In other words, we're asking questions to help the prospect discover their own reasons for buying our product or service or not. And that's the key difference. Yeah. So one, one of the things that you mentioned is, is they're not going to believe when somebody else is telling them something, right? So I guess one of the quote unquote hacks that traditional salespeople or sales trainers use is to try to get the no, right? Obviously. So there's a time and a place for this, right? I certainly don't want to discredit this because I know firsthand that it absolutely works. And I see you've got never split the difference behind, behind you by Chris Voss. And this is something that he talks about. So basically the idea there is from when someone is basically on, as soon as they could talk, usually one of their first words is no, because it's, it's an assertion of their own independence. And so people love saying no, because it almost like it's, it's like a comforting thing. So what a lot of the time salespeople will do is they'll try to get no, I guess, seamlessly into the conversation to direct it to where they want it to go. So I guess a, a, the way that that actually looks in a normal way, that's not, I guess, attacking is, is there any reason that this wouldn't be helpful for your business? Like that's yeah. a fine question to ask. I think where it goes wrong for people is they try to almost toe some awkward line between what you're saying is I don't want to tell them what they should do. They have to be the one to say it. But I'm also still going to try to tell them what they should do. But instead of going for the no, I'm just going to go. I'm instead of going for a yes, I'm just going to go for a no. And so I'll come up with some awkward conversation, like, "Hey, um, does this sound like it's way too expensive for you right now? If it is, that's fine. I just want to know: is this out of your price range?" It's like a little bit gross. And I'm, again, there's a time and a place for getting that no. And the example that Chris Voss uses is the the email 
um, I believe it was Chris Voss or maybe it was a sales book that I read, but it does sounds like you're no longer interested in this. It, well, it was Chris Voss, right? The one liner yeah. email yeah. sounds like you're no longer interested in this. And that's fine. I guess to sort of re-engage them into that conversation. But I think what you're doing goes, like you mentioned the Socratic method, it goes about a hundred steps farther where it's not about getting a no or a yes. It's just about, Again, not giving you the illusion that you have control during the conversation, but actually not trying to just take over the other person's mind. So you don't have to worry about no's, yes. Just ask questions and let them give you the information that they want to give you. Yeah, let me give you a great example. The, the, the best way to, to describe this, let's come out of a selling situation. Let's get into a human behavior that I think most people can, can relate to. And let's just look at weight loss as an example. All right? So... Here's what traditional selling suggests that we do. If you're, if you're selling weight loss, because we're talking about, in, in all selling, what are we talking about? We're talking about behavior change, right? That's what all sales is, is you're getting somebody to change their behavior, okay? So in, in weight loss, traditional selling would suggest that you give the person all the reasons why they would want to lose weight. Oliver, you should lose weight because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this. Well, we know that that breaks the first rule of influence. The first rule is the rule of psychological reactance. As soon as someone is told not to do something, what do they want to do? They're more motivated to do the exact opposite. That's rule number one. So if I tell you, you should lose weight because of this, because of this, that person then automatically gets on the defensive and says, yes, but. And they start to justify all the reasons why they can't. What right. reverse selling teaches someone to do is to ask a Socratic style question to help the person describe all the benefits for losing weight. So you might ask the person, well, what's wrong with the way that you are now? Simple question. Now, what can the prospect respond with? Well, you know, I, I'm just not feeling great. You know, I'm tired all the time. Well, I guess let me ask you, you know, what would the benefits be in losing 20, 30, 40 pounds? Right. Well, I would look better in my clothes. I'd feel better and have more. Now who's doing the selling? Now it's the prospect in self-persuasion coming up with what? All of their own reasons for change, not the salesperson's reasons for change. And that's what we're talking about here. I also think that's a perfect example because it's something that is so clearly I guess, agreed upon that losing weight and being healthy is, is the quote unquote right thing to do. But I, I can just envision, like, even though something is so irrefutable as eating healthier is good for you, like no one's going to deny that. But if you're trying to sell me your weight loss program and you say you should do this because of this and that, and you should eat better because of this and that, I know all the things you're saying, but I would say to you something like, yeah, but I like eating chips. Yeah, but I like watching movies late at night and it's chilling. And it's the time I got to spend with my wife. So I'm good. Thanks. There's always a way out. And, I think and I'll tell that, you what, I'll tell you what's happening. Because in, in the mind of most people, weight loss or real estate sales or marketing, it doesn't matter. Most people are ambivalent. Most. They have an argument built into their mind for they've got a case for why they should do something and they have a case for why they shouldn't. Now, here's the strategic psychological skill set in, in selling. If the salesperson, Oliver, makes the argument for why the person should change, that then elicits the person's ambivalence as to why they should not. 
Right. So, and often what we teach or what we coach to is to speak against your own interests by presenting a case for the status quo, which automatically triggers the person's response or argument for why they should change. Here's a great example. In the world of, world of real estate, what most agents are trying to do is trying to convince the person to sell their house. Yeah. What we teach is to do the exact opposite. Oliver, I'm looking at your property here online. It looks like a beautiful home. You're in a great neighborhood. You know, selling can be super stressful. Have you considered just staying put? This seemingly goes against my interest of getting the listing and serves your interest for not going through a big, huge pain in the ass. So now what I've done is I put you in a position to defend all of your reasons for moving versus right. the amateur who says, you know what, why don't you just let me come over. Let me share all the reasons why you should take advantage of this marketplace. Doesn't, doesn't work. Don't worry about rates. Here's all the upsides to moving that then elicits the defensiveness from the prospect onto all the reasons why they should stay put. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I can see it happening in action. I think that even with the, the uh, losing weight example, it's like, I'm just going to tell you, like, it's, it's hard work. Like, yeah, exactly. It might be that it's not for you right now. And it's like, you know what, you though? like, it. I'm only getting older. And, and I think, like you said, self-persuasion, right? That was the word that you used earlier on. And it's infinitely more powerful than anything that, that you're going to say to them as a salesperson. That's right. So, okay. So one of the things that I was wondering beforehand, I think we kind of touched on this is how to quantify success. And I think mm. the separation of marketing and sales allows it to be easier to really quantify, like how many qualified conversations have I had and how many of those did I manage to convert? I think what's challenging, what I'm, what I still, I guess, need a little bit further clarification on is it all starts with removing yourself from the sale. A couple of things you mentioned, like yes, lives in the land of no. Um, also differentiating, like we said, marketing and sales, but all of that boils down to becoming, it's not really indifferent. It's almost like looking for those no's. It's not, again, it's even more than being indifferent to the no's. It's wanting those no's so that you can get to those yeses. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to wanting that yes still. Mm -hmm. And so I guess one thing that's always been challenging for me, maybe it's a mindset thing is you do want the sale at the end of the day. So how do you get yourself into the position to remove yourself from wanting the sale? I don't know whether overtly or subconsciously, whatever that looks like, so that you can get down to what actually works and not selling through reverse selling and self-persuasion. Well, there's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's try to unpack all of that. I think that there's a couple key things to consider is that we believe those that subscribe to the idea of reverse selling believe that sales and the decision to do business is a mutual decision, Oliver, between the salesperson and the prospect. It's mutual. It isn't one where the salesperson won the deal because they had they twisted the arm of the prospect. They used a fancy closing framework to convince the person to say, yep, now all of a sudden that was great. Yes, where should I sign? And it wasn't this, the, the prospect beating the salesperson to death by discounting your fee next to nothing. You agree to these ridiculous terms. It isn't any of those. It's a mutual decision between consumer and salesperson that two adults come together and say, yes, there's an equal exchange of value. Yes, it makes sense to do business together. We've got this need. Your product or service 
makes sense. It can help us solve that need and let's move forward together. So here's the key thing. Yes, to your point, do we want to close more business? Absolutely. What I am suggesting is that the way in which you close more business is by communicating to the prospect that you're not for everyone. Because the, the salesperson that goes in there with the bias towards closing the sale has this as a repercussion. They get prospects to not tell them the truth. They get prospects to say, well, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. And all that is, is a no in disguise. Yeah. And then they end up spinning their wheels, chasing prospects for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. When the prospect just didn't want to hurt little Johnny's feelings because little Johnny was so attached. He was so enthusiastic and he was so gung ho about getting the sale. Mr. Oh, you're going to love working with me. We do all the things. And, you know, only speaking from that point of view of getting a yes, when the professional is, is not worried about needing the sale, they don't come across as needy or desperate. And they don't come across as telling the person what they want to hear. Rather, they serve people. Right. And the difference between pleasing someone, Oliver, and serving someone is whose interests are you communicating from? The person who's willing to serve the other person speaks in terms of serving the other person. And sometimes serving the other person means that we don't do business together. Where the needy real estate salesperson will tell a seller anything they believe the seller wants to hear in order to serve their interest, to get the listing. Now, to your point, did they win the sale by telling the seller, yes, we can get you this price, we can do this, it's no problem? Yeah, but then what ends up happening is second order consequences is they end up taking a listing under false expectations. And so now they won a deal that they resent. They've won a deal where the seller hates them. They won a deal that they wish they hadn't won because they were so needy or desperate to close the deal. You see all the problems that come up when it's not a mutual decision. When there's a bias towards closing the deal, you find yourself pleasing people by telling them what you think they want to hear to win the deal versus winning the deal on the truth. Winning the deal because you told the truth. Winning the deal because you are willing to walk away. My belief is that that is exactly what a homeowner is looking for, is to hire a professional based on the truth, not being BSed, not getting your arm twisted or manipulated into doing business together. We've done business because we both believe that we're being honest with one another. Absolutely. I, I honestly cringed a little bit when you were talking about not wanting to hurt little Johnny's feelings because I've been in those positions so many times myself in my own businesses. And it's just infuriating when someone doesn't want to say no to you because they don't want to hurt your feelings. And it's almost like I want to say to them, like, you're not going to upset me if like, That's just right. say no. So if I would have positioned my, and I don't claim to be an excellent salesperson, I'm more, I'm a marketer. I'm not a salesperson. Sure. And again, that's why that distinction is so important to me. Um, but I, well, like well, how well, and, and the easiest tactical thing for the audience, let me make this real practical for people. All we have to do is set up. So, so the marketing is all about bringing in qualified opportunities, right? We've talked about that. 
In a selling situation, all we have to do is set up an expectation with that prospect that that there are really a couple, there's only two outcomes and right. either one is fine. So when we're talking with the prospect, just speaking in terms of the truth is so refreshing for prospects. And as an example, I might say, Oliver, listen, if you want, I'd be happy to meet with you. I can share with you what I'm doing with my clients to get their properties on the market and get them sold at a price that works for you or more. And at the end of our meeting, you can decide for yourself if working with someone like me makes sense or not. And to shoot you straight, if not, that's okay. Because here's the reality is I'm not the agent for everyone. And most people resonate with that message because it's so transparent. Yeah. It's so honest. It's not, per, it's not trying to convince anybody of anything. The reality of the matter is it might make sense to work together and it might not. And either one of them is fine. There's also like a built-in pattern interrupt with that because nobody else is really doing that. That's exactly right. It's, so that's crazy also. But like like I was saying, I mean, it's just – it's so aggravating to be in that position. And once you're in that position where people are just saying like maybe next, maybe next month and you can't really get out of that. So to put yourself – to avoid that position in the first place would save so much time, so much energy, and so much effort. And it's like you as the professional or I guess in my case me as the professional and the salesperson, quote-unquote, as it were – I have my responsibility to follow up when they say, let's touch base next month. Like I got to do that, but I'm now trying to get out of this position where it's like, I'll keep on following up next month. And it's, again, it's hard to communicate to them. Hey, it's fine if it's a no, because you've already set that expectations of like, please work with me. And it's like, Oh, maybe next month. You know what I mean? Maybe little Johnny, or in this case, maybe little Oliver. And it's, it's really infuriating. So I think that setting that up, I mean, at least when I've done it, since I started watching you, I've started implementing some of the strategies that you, you talk about. And it really does make a world of difference. And, and one of the things I just want to, I guess, touch on here is I watched a, a, a video of you. This is the first video I ever, I ever saw of yours. And it was you were cold calling a FISBO lead, created a framework that is very much so based on your framework and, and all credit to you. And I put your name on all of the videos, everything like that. But one of the objections that you got was, well, the first question is, if we got the right price and it made sense to you, would you be interested in kind of keeping the conversation moving? So the guy on the call said, well, it depends. What is the right price? So at this point in time, a traditional person, a salesperson might say something like, well, you know, in this market, it's a really great market. You can get a ton of money for it. It just depends on the home. I'd have to really see it to get more information, but there really is great opportunity. So let's, and it's like, what you said was, well, that's really going to be for you to decide. You gave them control of that conversation. So the sales resistance was almost zero. In fact, of the conversation, it looked like it was zero because there was no resistance needed to be had. You kept the control in, in his hands the whole way through. And for me, I think that that was, I guess, where most people may have seen an objection. I don't even really want to call it a smoke screen because I don't think it was a smoke screen, but it was a semi smoke screen, I suppose I'll say, and just allowed you to keep on moving forward with what you wanted while keeping them in control of the conversation. I thought that was really awesome. So that said, how do you know when there is an objection versus a smoke screen? I'm sure you still get smoke screens even with reverse selling. So how can you differentiate the two? Yeah. And, and what you're talking about is just the simple fact of not taking the bait is what we call the skill. The skill is, yeah, somebody brings up a question or a smokescreen or objection, whatever you want to call it, and the amateur just jumps all over it and starts explaining themselves and justifying. This gives the prospect the reason to be defensive. So 
my belief on smoke screens or object the only reason why any of those comes up is because of our unwillingness to hear no think about this i call it the i mean reverse selling has everything to do the goal of reverse selling is that you don't have objections why because not because of some secret manipulation but because we're so willing to talk in truths that the salesperson or the prospect doesn't have to run game on each other because sales this is super important true the true art of selling isn't something you do to someone it's something you do with and for someone now if someone needs to probably hear that i don't know a couple thousand times for them to get it like you're not like when you get an objection like i just don't even Lately, I don't even buy into objection handlers because the thought of this is why I'll tell you why the thought of a of a prospect raising up a question or a concern, whatever you want to call it, and the thought that you're going to run some magic word script in com, in in combating or, or responding to that person's question, all of a sudden is going to change that person's worldview is quite ridiculous. And so the way in which I handle that is just by being agreeable that if someone, whatever their objection is, is I, I am under the belief people are allowed to feel and think whatever it is that they want. My job is not to convince them otherwise. My job is to present cases for and against, and then you get to decide for yourself what makes sense for you. So that is my belief when it comes to smoke screens or objections. The reason we get the reason smoke screens exist in sales is because the salesperson is not willing to be honest with themselves or with the prospect. So of course, Oliver, the prospect has to give the salesperson a smoke screen because they have to protect themselves from the amateurs. You with me on that? I am. That said, though, like, let's say if, if we do go through a listing presentation and at yeah. the end of it, I say, it looks like you really are able to help me. The only thing is my house is worth a million dollars. And that's a lot of money for me to separate with if I were to use an agent. Like I agree. Watch, watch the difference. So everyone's taught on, OK, what can I say to get them to uh, uh, think differently? So your objection or your question would be, essentially, why would I hire an agent? Why would I hire an agent versus selling it myself? Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't. That's what I say. And it surprises everybody. Oliver, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe the right thing for you to do is in fact, sell the house on your own. Quite frankly, regardless of what other agents are saying, the fact is you probably should. Because the only way it would make sense for you to hire a real estate agent is if what? As if I could get more money out of it and I could have an easier time of the process. Exactly right. And right now, you might not be in that situation because you haven't really exhausted all of your options in order to get to find out whether or not you can sell this thing on your own. Have you? Well, I've spoken to a couple of other agents, um, but no, I haven't tried selling it by myself first now. Yeah. And so it would make sense for you to find out if you could sell it on your own, because your argument is this, if you sold at a million and you, you listed with me at a million, 
you would put a lot more money in your pocket if you didn't have to pay me, correct? Yeah. The only thing that's left to find out is what? If it works better to do it by yourself or with you. And we don't know, do we? No, that's why I'm asking you. Is it going to work better to, to, to list with you, Brandon? Well, the only way in which it will is if we find out, Oliver, you can't sell it on your own. The only way it makes sense for you to list and hire a professional is if you can't get the result yourself. Would you agree? Otherwise, Absolutely, why in the yeah. world would you hire a guy like me or any realtor for that matter? Yeah, for sure. That's Yeah, I agree with that. So here's what we have to decide is based on our conversation. Do you believe right now? Because we don't know. We don't know. Right. Do you believe that everything we've talked about, it would make sense for us to work together at this point? Or a lot of people say to themselves, well, let me try this on my own. And then they find out later, shoot, I can't get the buyer at a million dollars. Because here's the thing. Let's be honest. Are you more concerned with how much you pay me or how much you put in your pocket? Be honest. Uh, How much I put in my pocket. That's exactly right. In other words, if I found a buyer, the only way in which you're going to pay me is if it's an offer that you find acceptable. True or true? True. Like if you hire me and I brought you an offer that financially doesn't make sense, do you have to accept it? No. Of course not. So who benefits from our relationship more, you or I? I would as the seller. That's right. I have to do all the work. You get to decide your outcome. And the only way you get to justify paying me is if I bring you an offer that is better or one that you can't get on your own. Correct? Yeah. What are the downsides? Well, the downsides might be that maybe I could get a million. I I don't know what a realtor really does. So maybe I could get a million dollars for my home if I list it myself. And I, I hear what you're saying, meaning at the end of the day, if you don't make if you don't bring enough money into my pocket that I can pay you however much money and still feel super thrilled with what I came away with, I could just not sell and then try it myself afterwards. Meaning I still hold all of the cards or try it up front. Right. Why? Because the only way you're going to hire me now or at some point in the future is if you on your own, regardless of what an agent tells you, is if you feel like you've exhausted all of your own efforts and you can't get the result you're after. That's it, right? That's the only reason someone like yourself would hire a professional. Because I'm with you. I would rather, I'm just like you, I would rather not pay a realtor fees if I could do something my own and get the result why in the world would I hire a realtor to try to get me the result that I can get my own and not have to pay? Yeah. That's, that's the reality of, the, of, of what we're talking about. So stepping away from the role-playing for a second, my only question is there. So I fit that five-part criteria there, mm-hmm. right? And so now we can start looking at, can you quote-unquote convert this lead or not? So, but the question is a very viable question. So like I... What is really stopping me? Why wouldn't I go and try to sell it by myself? I guess maybe the fact you that should. Here- you're you're missing it. That's what we're talking about. Because the second I try to persuade you and convince you, that's what you're looking for. Okay, what's the magic line? How do you convince the guy? How do you get him to sign a contract? Well, again, we could get back into the role play and say, Oliver. I mean, there's a lot of tactical things, right? So we offer our savvy seller program, which allows a for sale by owner to sell on their own and hire us at the same time. What downside would we have? 
what would be the advantages, Oliver, to you hiring me? If I could bring you offers that are higher than what you can procure yourself, what would the mm -hmm. advantages for you be? Well, because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this. Well, what should we do? What would you like to see from us moving forward? Well, I still want to try it on myself. Okay, cool. How long do you think you might try and sell it on your own before you would think it would make sense to work together? Well, I'm going to try it this long. Okay, got it. If we could create a world where we could work together at the same time, you put your efforts forward, I put mine forward, mm -hmm. and you get the best of both worlds, what's the downside for you? Well, I guess we wouldn't have any. And so the only thing for us to decide is if we created a world where it was only upside for you and I working together, certainly that's something you'd be open to. Am I wrong? Yeah, for sure. You know, and so we can get yeah. into it more and more and more and more. No, I understand. What we're trying to get out of is me convince you. Well, you should hire me because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this. And then all I've done is commoditize myself. Well, let me think about it. Let me go meet with all the other mules in the and see what they charge. And then you just commoditize yourself. I'm not interested in winning business because I've twisted your arm. That's the whole, that's the hardest part for people to understand about reverse selling. You're not winning the business. It's, sales is not something you do to someone, Oliver. Yeah. You don't twist arm. Okay, I won, motherfucker. That's <laughs> not what selling is. It's a mutual decision because yeah. the value exchange was so quantifiable. It was so undeniable that two adults were like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. It makes sense for us to work together. And yeah. the amateurs just don't get that. They think they have to convince, pitch, discount to win the business. And they often, they often when one, because here's the thing, it does work, the traditional selling. And when it does, they resent the client the whole time because the way in which they acquired the client, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I, again, I, I thought it was a glorious opportunity for me to kind of see how far this went. So I couldn't resist myself, but to play devil's advocate. Sure. But now just to let you know what was kind of going on in my head, like as a fellow who came into the assisting appointment, like it's not like I didn't know that I had an option to sell it by myself. So I wanted to list with a professional because let's face it, it wants to deal with the legalities of it, just marketing it. I don't want to deal with that stuff. Yeah. So I'm with you for a reason. And I think when I, when I gave that objection, it was like, okay, here, listen, listen up, buddy. We're going to play my game a little bit. Now I want you to start chasing me. Right. And you weren't getting into that game. So again, I, want, I did want to make your life a little bit difficult just because it was such of a glorious course. opportunity to hear from you. But that said, it was like, you gave me permission to go elsewhere. And like you, I like the word you use mules. Every other mule that they're talking to is going to play their game and chase them. And it's just, I guess it's like- like You nailed it. That's the thing with reverse selling. It's like, we- we don't need anything. We want yeah. the business, to your point. To be clear, we want the business. We don't need the business. And the less we can attach ourselves to needing the business, the more desirable we become. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and the more you chase the client, it is my belief that the more you devalue yourself, you become more of a commodity you have less respect from your client and they start to walk all over you. For sure. I think, uh, I, I don't think we could possibly go in any other direction other than a live role play call to end this episode. So before we kind of close out, if you would mind just talking a little bit about your book and the Listing Agent Academy coaching program that you have um, so that we know how to get involved in your ecosystem. Well, number one, 
the coaching program is not for everyone. Wink, wink. There you go. Right. That's <laughs> the best role play I could ever give you, but it's true. You know, and that's just the, 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 the baseline principle is just like, let me just ask you to end this. Like, because that's true. Like we, we tell people straight up on a, on a coaching consultation that the reality is that we probably end up not doing something together. Why? Because we know most people are all talk and no do. And we have no interest in coaching somebody that is all talk that just looks for their, uh, that just looks for affirmation based on dopamine, but no actual practical application. The thing is people resonate with that message because they're so used to being sold to and chased after. And let me tell you all the great things about our coaching program. It doesn't just not, doesn't resonate and nor is it something that we believe in. So anyway, I mean, people, if they want to find out what we do, they can always go to reverse selling.com and we've got all the stuff on there now. But um, if the, if people were looking for a sales pitch, they wouldn't get it from me. And that's the whole point, right? Like I try to truly in the role play, you heard it. I spend most of my time talking people out of doing things with me. I try talking people out of giving me money, not because it's a play, not because it's a strategy, not because it's a tactic, because I'm only interested in getting results. And if agents can do a better job, Oliver, of setting those expectations with sellers, they'd have happier clients, they would be happier, they'd have better clients, and they'd work with better sellers, sellers that actually want to sell houses. Yeah, that's awesome. So, okay, so one more time, where where can I find access to the uh, information? And we'll, we will link to it below, but in case you're listening to this in the car. ReverseSelling.com. Okay, awesome. And uh, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, booking the call or going to that link, that would be the best way to do so? Yeah, they can go to ReverseSelling.com and if they want to have a conversation, they can schedule a time that works best for them right on the website. Okay, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate all of the value that you've given us as well as that impromptu role play at the end. That was really honestly like gold. So I really appreciate all of the time you've spent with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. And to everybody listening to this, we'll have all of the links posted below. So if you want to follow Brandon on Instagram, on YouTube, go check out reverse and you'll get all of the information that you need. So we'll see you guys in the next episode.